So let's get to the text this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Peter. It'll also be on the screens here. And here is what 2 Peter says as he is writing the church. He says, because of his glory, because of Jesus's glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine through the text, what you discover here is that Peter says Jesus has given us promises, and in these promises, we are able to share in Jesus's, God's here, divine nature. By the way, I just read it, a study that said about a third of American Christians do not know that Jesus is God. So just for the sake of our church, all right, Jesus is God. Got it? All right, good. Amen. But what we're told here, this is nature. So what does that mean? Does that mean we become God or like God in divinity? No, that is not what Peter is talking about here. Instead, what Peter is saying, and you realize this as you continue to go and as you just read the scriptures and so forth, what Peter is talking about is that we become increasingly like God. We become increasingly godly. Now, this is very important for us in this moment in time. We are, the times we're in are really just how to deal with them inwardly and spiritually. And what we're told here is that we share in God's divine nature. Here's something that you need to know about God as we think about all of this. God is not surprised by what is happening. Right? God is not surprised by what is happening. God is not surprised by what is going on in your life. He is not surprised by what is going on in our country. He is not surprised by what is going on in the world. He is not surprised by what is going on in your school, by it, nor is he defeated by it. That is the kind of nature, the new nature that you can take on if you're going to do this, right? To escape the world's corruption caused by human desires or caused by sin. The truth is, is that we are surrounded. We are surrounded and we are affected by the corruption of this world. Some of that corruption falls on our, our own shoulders, right? Our own desires, our own sin. But we live in a fallen and we live in a corrupted world. And sometimes we can feel trapped by this. And as we think about being in a spiritual depression, right, it can get us down in the dumps. It can send us low. It can, it can keep us, right, from tapping into or understanding or living out the divine nature that we are actually promised as followers of Jesus Christ. We do not want to be trapped, right? by the world's corruption. We do not want to allow it to seek into our own lives. When we are told by Peter that we share in the divine nature of Jesus Christ, that we can become more like him and increasingly like him and have the same attitudes and a mindset among ourselves. And so what Peter goes on to say in the next verse is this. He says, in view of all of this in the next verse, Hey, can we go to the next verse? There we go. Every effort, make every effort. In view of all of this, in view of you taking on Christ's divine nature, of you being able to avoid the world's corruption. In other words, in view of all the events, all the challenges in your life and in the world, in view of your present 
situation, you should then make every effort to respond to God's promises and supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. Peter is saying if you feel trapped, if you are struggling, if you are uh, uh, being held down by what is going on in your own life, by the corruption that we see, that you need to make every effort to respond to God's promise and to supplement your faith. And I want us to ask this question of ourselves right now. If, if we are struggling from spiritual depression, one of the, of being down in the dumps, of not feeling connected to the Lord or, or of, of just not being where we think we should be spiritually. And so I'm gonna ask this question, like if that's you, I'm gonna ask this question of you. Why do you feel like you might be kind of trapped spiritually or maybe stuck in the world's corruption? And this is one answer in this text I think that we are given here by Peter as we look at this and how this plays out. And it's that we need to be disciplined. The church to the point, he's reminding them of their need for discipline. Uh, discipline here implies like, not that you're gonna be in trouble, that, that kind of discipline. Like, not that I'm trying to correct a behavior here necessarily, like a bad behavior here, but rather when I'm talking about it here and what we're gonna focus on this morning is to, <laughs> to give you order. You need some order in your life. And I don't know about you, but I, over the past six, seven months, has actually been lack of order. What, what I have struggled with most in my life over the, you know, you've heard me kind of talk about this over the past several weeks, is this right here is restoring order to my life. Uh, and was it April, March, my kids were sent home from school. The church was told, was asked, right, to stop meeting. My gym was shut down, used to being around. We weren't really sure, especially towards the front end of this, how dangerous they were to be around. Family members, all of that. And so everything, everything that I was used to doing, and I'm sure this was the same way for you, everything that you were used to doing was just thrown off. You stopped going to work the way you were going to work. You stopped seeing the people that you were seeing. You stopped doing the things that you were doing. And so life has been or felt kind of chaotic. And the rhythms that really kind of kept you going and kept you moving have been thrown off. And your life in some ways have been turned upside down when it becomes disordered, especially when it's changing daily. It's a very difficult thing to live with. In fact, most people, I would argue almost everybody needs some sense of order to keep their sanity. You just do. Not only to keep your sanity, but also to live the life spiritually that we should live. And this is why Peter here, he says, make every effort to respond to the promises of God. So now, I just told you some, <laughs> uh, reminded us of some reasons that this order has been thrown off, right? The coronavirus and all the effects of it has thrown some order off to our lives. It has thrown discipline off that we had. Yet, there are some reasons, even in the midst of all this, that our lives can still feel disordered and feel dis and chaotic. And I'm gonna just focus on what Peter says here. The first is just simply this, is that you actually may lack effort. You may lack the effort needed to create order in your life. 
You need lots of effort right now to have an ordered life. You have to make an extra effort right now to have an ordered life. You can't be spiritually lazy right now. If you are struggling spiritually, you do not have the option to be spiritually lazy. And that if you are struggling right now, you're you're in a large group of people, but, but I want you to think about this. If you are struggling now and you are suffering more maybe than the average person, you may have actually been spiritually lazy before all of this happened. Uh, you, you see, if, if your life would have been fairly ordered before this was happened and you were spending time with the Lord, uh, when something bad happens or something crazy happens or your life is kind of thrown into chaos, you have built up some strength to deal with it. And if you were weak before this happened, you are probably in some ways weaker now than before. And so you might be struggling now more than you were before. Effort builds strength. Now, it's football season. Well, it's supposed to be football season, right? It's football season for high school, so you can play if you're high school, but if you're in... Okay, now you... So... I'm a little bitter. I want to watch the Buckeyes. Well, what happens in football? This is what you do uh, in training for football. There's two different seasons you kind of you train for. You, during the off-season, you train in a different way than you train during the season. In the off-season, you're typically trying to build strength. You're trying to build muscle. You're trying to build mass. You're, you're, you're trying to become more explosive. All of those things are going on in the off-season. You're lifting heavy weight. Uh, that is different than, than when you get into the season. In the season, then you're focusing primarily on skills. You're, fo- you're focusing on the team in front of you. Your practices change. Your lifting schedule changes. All of those sorts of things change. You have basically kind of two different seasons. Now, both, as you train, are necessary. That's why you have them. You have a season that you're not playing, but you're just training, and then you have a season that you are, are playing. And the truth is, is that we all need relatively easy. The off season is relatively easy. And so you just need to get in the weight room. You need to train so that when the season comes around, you're able to play. And right now, believe it or not, like most of you are probably playing, but a lot of us did not train in the off season. And so we're feeling the effects of it, partly because of our lack of effort. Now, here's the good news. I think that many of us are starting a new season. Many of us have an opportunity to start a new season. Some of you are going to be that. So you are starting a new season. So you have an opportunity now to get healthy. Your life may be getting into somewhat of a normal rhythm. Like things might not be changing as much as they were. They might still be, but maybe not as much. So that you have an opportunity to get healthy and put some effort in. If the old wasn't working in the past, you have an opportunity to start new. Here's the second reason that we may struggle with discipline, and it's simply this, is that we have the wrong view of faith. Implement your faith. And that's, don't, isn't all we need faith, though? The truth is, is that you can't live from moment to moment. Right? Faith, is, is, faith is not this magical potion that once you have it, like everything is just going to be okay. Everything is going to turn out right. No, faith is not a magical potion. It is the fuel to have you do the things that God would have you do. It's what's going to keep you moving forward. 
If you just think like, all I have to do is believe, 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 things will be okay. Now, Jesus is going to take care of you. Don't get me wrong. Faith is really important. But Peter tells us here to add to, depending on the translation you're reading, or supplement your faith. And it's not so that you can be assured of your salvation, but so that you can live it out, so that you can live like a saved person, so that you can live like a person who is actually taking on God's divine nature. You have faith. If you have faith, if you believe Jesus is Lord, if you believe that he's going to work all things out for the good for those who love him, right? That is a really good thing. But if you recognize too that, you know what? I'm not real healthy right now. I'm struggling right now. One of the reasons could be is that you lack discipline in the areas of your life that are necessary that you discipline your life for. You, right, you're, you're not in a rhythm, you're not disciplined, you, you, you don't, you're not doing the things that you think God would have you to do. What does Peter give us basically as a treatment for all of this? If you think this is some of the cause maybe of your spiritual depression here. Well, the big idea is really simple. And it's this, is that you have to give effort. Like you have to be really, really zealous. You have to make every effort to pursue godly with God and to pursue God. Think about the people in the Bible that really knew God, that really followed after God. Think of the saints, the heroes of the Bible. They did not sit around and just contemplate how great their faith was. They didn't. They pursued God. Moses, he sees the burning bush. He walks up on the mountain. He pursues God to go. Moses is leading people through the Red Sea. He's got to take steps forward. He's got to pursue God. Joshua, when he gets to the walls of Jericho, he realizes that they all have to pursue God if they want to see the walls fall down. David has to stand before Goliath before he sees Goliath fall. He has to come in front of and he has to trust God. That's what his faith means in this situation. The disciples themselves, they give up everything to follow Jesus. They drop everything to follow Jesus and pursue after Jesus. This is why Hebrews 11.6, when it's talking about the saints, when it's talking about these people, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So you need your faith. Peter's saying supplement your faith. He's not saying get rid of your faith. Now he's going to say what your faith would have you to do. Since it's impossible to please him without it, for who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who do what? Who seek him. To seek God. If you want daily experiences with God, you actually have to pursue him daily. If you want a mountaintop experience with God, you are going to have to climb the mountain. You're going to have to take some steps to get there. This is what Peter is talking about here. So he's saying, make every effort to do this. Make every effort effort to supplement your faith. And then he gives us a list. Now lists are kind of, we're gonna move through this here. This is the list that we want to discipline ourselves to do. First, is right here, <laughs> have a generous provision of moral excellence. Now this is one word in the Greek. The NLT, it's a little wordy. 
Uh, so, but this is one word in the Greek. It's arthe. Arthe in the Greek means virtue. We don't talk a lot about virtue anymore. But virtue basically means, right, in the kind of the English dictionary, the way we think of virtue, we, and somebody who basically lives them out. Now, they would have talked about virtue even deeper than that. Uh, these people would have understood virtue even kind of in light of what, like, Homer, who wrote the Iliad, and other Greek thinkers would have thought of virtue. So, yes, it would have characterized somebody of high moral value and high character, but not only that, when they talk about virtue, they talk about people who actually deserve to be praised. Like, those are the people that I want to be, be like. But not only that, Homer and other Greek thinkers, when they think about virtue, here's how they think about virtue. They think about virtue in a way that society should look at those people and say, those are the people that we want to be, that, be like. They saw virtue as something that should even be encouraged for the people in the, in, the society to come, uh, 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 in the society that they were in to become like, so that the culture itself should encourage a certain moral behavior here. Now, there's a problem with this as Peter writes to the Christians in Rome, can't really agree what is virtuous and what virtue looks like. Now, that should sound kind of familiar or at least it's becoming more and more familiar. Can Christians in culture agree what virtue looks like? We have, we're, we're, getting, we're, we're getting to the point where it becomes more, we become more and more like this, and this being the case, or potentially more and more, really encourages the same virtues that Christianity has. But if this is the case, what, what then does Peter mean by asking them to be a virtuous people? Where, do, where, do, where does the character, where do your morals, who should you become? What does it look like? Well, it must come from Christ. Our character, right? our morals, our behavior that we must make every effort to live out must come from Christ, our to Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't be seeking praise from society or from culture, but we should seek it and we should find it in Christ. Now, if this is the case, how do we do this? What's this look like practically? What is it, how do you become morally excellent? Right? It's not by reading the news. It's, it's, it's not by, or, or anything like that. It's by reading your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. Part of being spiritually depressed is sometimes comes with being spiritually cut off from God. And you want to make sure that you are not cutting yourself off from his word. Each year, you know, we begin the year and I encourage you to start reading your Bible. Try to read through the Bible through within a year. If that is too daunting from, for you, right, find a devotion. This is something that you need to do every day. The studies are coming out and basically saying one of the number one ways you can tell if somebody is going to be faithful to Christ when it's hard is whether or not they spend at least four days reading their Bible. Not, at a t not like without stop, right? <laughs> but that they open their Bible at least four times during that week on a separate day. And I know it can feel daunting, but this is really important for you. And I'll just tell you, as your pastor, like I, I, I'm, but I encourage all of you to be Bible readers. 
So to become morally excellent, I really believe that you have to spend time reading your Bible. Not only do you need to read your Bible, but you actually need to meditate on God's word. We are told, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, right? But rather, who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. You've got to think about it. So read it. What does that say? What does that mean? You have the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Meditate on it and pray. Read your Bible, meditate on it and pray. Petition God. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. It really does not take that long. You, you can do all of those things within a half hour. If you have more time, I recommend more time. You can do those things in a half hour. Now you can listen to the Bible. You can shut it off. You can think about it, meditate it, and pray. Our in-laws were with us the other day. My father-in-law, he listens to the Bible. He, I think he's been through it a couple times already this year. That's the first thing he does when he gets up, watching him turn it on. Went and said, I, I, I actually interrupted on accident yesterday. I was wanting to go golfing. And so this is the first thing that he does. You can do it that way. Second thing that Peter says is this. He says, <laughs> you need to supplement with knowledge. You need to get knowledge. When you come to know Christ, you don't know everything. You don't. So you have to pursue knowledge. Now, there's a difference between or information and understanding here. They, as they write, as thing as information we are greek thinking uh speak we are greek greek thinkers in so many different ways and when we think of knowledge we think of information right we just think well, as long as we know information we're good no for them knowledge was understanding and unfortunately there's like a proliferation of information right now i mean it is a confusing world there is so much information out there it is hard to wade through the different things that are going on Yet we still have to pursue understanding. We have to pursue truth. And we can't be afraid seeking after truth. Anything that is true belongs to God. All truth is God's truth. So just seek truth. Seek understanding. Read people who write about scripture. Seek what the scriptures say about different things. There, are, there is so much information out there. Right? We have no excuse for not being knowledgeable. And no matter how you learn, it's out there to learn for you. If you are an audible learner, there are thousands of podcasts that you can listen to. If you prefer to read, you know that. There are TV programs about our faith. We as a church, we have a free resource for you, even that you sit down on the couch, Right Now Media, that has basically teachings on every subject you could ever think of. Personally, this is a time in my life where with everything going on in the world and trying to figure out how I think about things and what to do, right? I'm reading more black theologians. I'm going back and I'm wondering, what are sociologists saying right now? I'm trying to gain understanding right now. Christians should, Christians should come off as reasonable and knowledgeable. We need to pursue it. Not only do we need to pursue knowledge, we need to pursue self-control, self-control. This can be translated temperance or restraint. Right? 
you can't have <laughs> too much self-control a lot of times. You need to know when to start and when to stop. Most of the time when this word is used, it's talking about your eating or drinking habits. You can eat too much. You can drink too much. I, I think for many of us, maybe in our time right now, one of the things that is making us anxious is the time that we spend in front of our screens, right? ignoring people, not looking people in the eye, or just kind of stepping away from everything and kind of retreating that way. Men sometimes need some self-control maybe in their hobbies to be able to step away from their hobbies and engage with them. This is really important for you. Like if, if you're in high school, this is something that you need to start now. If you're in middle school, this is something that you need to start now. You need to learn self-control and self-control in the eye and discipline here. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I became a Christian in middle school. So in high school, the, the last thing I did before I went to bed as I read my Bible and I prayed. You, you need to start those habits now because it gets more difficult when you get older. If you don't have good habits when you're young, they won't get better when you get older. That's patient endurance. Keep going. <laughs> I know you're discouraged, but Peter just says, don't give up. Keep going. Tell yourself that God is for you, that God is with you, that the Holy Spirit is in you that God hasn't given up. So don't give up. Don't give up on pursuing God. Be patient. If you are just starting a devotion plan in the morning, you're deciding that you're going to try to get your life in order. You're going to try to get some discipline. Don't give up after. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to endure. This time that we're in, I've been telling people, you know, it's interesting. As difficult as it can become, and those of you who have lived for quite a while, you understand this, right? Hopefully in the course of our life, this is just a really small part. You can get, we can get through this, right? We can get through a year. We can get through a year and a half. We can get through two years. Be patient, endure, don't give up. He goes on to say, not only should we be patient, but that we need to enhance it with godliness. Now, I think godliness basically just summarizes the four words that we just said, that we need to be careful to maintain a relationship in the ways that we just talked about. And so though all those attitudes there are attitudes towards God. And then he moves on and says, there's attitudes that are motivated towards people that you need to be very careful and that you need to watch. And here's what he says, if you are struggling here. He says, the next is brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. The word for brotherly, brotherly affection in the Greek is Philadelphia. You all know Philadelphia means brotherly love. That's why it's brotherly affection in the translation there. In other words, you should view people in this way, in a way that you are kind of related to them. You have this affection to them as if they are blood kin to you. You have common interests, all of those sorts of this. Or what, the way that this word is usually used and the way that Peter is using this, he's actually talking about people in the church. He's saying, you should love one another. Right? I, I believe that this is a time where people in the church need to know that they are loved. Right? And yet this is difficult because a lot of people aren't seeing one another. You aren't getting the encouragement that you used to get. Some groups aren't meeting and we're trying to distance ourselves from one another. We still need to find ways to encourage one another and to show our love for people in the church, to encourage in and outside too, by the way, our local congregation. This doesn't mean that we just love 
the person that's sitting beside you, but it also means that we love the person that is in our workspace, that is a brother and sister in Christ. It means all Christians here, we need to encourage each other. And then finally, love for everyone. Love for everyone. And believe it or not, God really loves everyone. God loves everyone. When, when Peter says that we should love everyone, I think he means it. I think he means it because he learned that from Jesus. Jesus here, he said, he said you know what Jesus, who Jesus said we should love? Our enemies. He said we should watch your heart. Keep your eye on your heart. Discipline your heart to love everyone. He sums it up like this. He says the more you grow like this, verse 8, the more productive and useful you will be in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the more you do this, the more you dedicate yourself to this, the more your life becomes like this, right? The more productive you are going to be. But those who fail to develop this cleanse from their old sins, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their own corruption and from the corruption of the world, like, don't, don't forget that you have been cleansed from, don't forget that you don't, you have a new order of life. You have a new life that you should discipline yourself around here. So it says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those who God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. We are told to work hard, right? Never fall away. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, he means that you'll never fall away from the faith is what he means. If you do those things, it's really unlikely that you're going to turn your back on Jesus Christ. As we put this in the context of being spiritually down, being down in the dumps, or experiencing spiritual depression, I think we need to see it like this. Okay? It's really unlikely that Christ, it's not that you won't get depressed. It's not that you won't get down, but you will know that Jesus is never far away. And we all need that. And a way to know that is really to establish a disciplined life, an ordered life where Christ is at the center of it and you are ordering your life around your faith. So my challenge to you is just real simple this morning. Okay? If, you're, if you're experiencing, and I'm gonna wrap this series up this way and we're gonna kind of move in a different direction. I feel like the Lord is taking us in a similar direction, but a little different direction over the next couple of weeks. But here's what I'm just gonna challenge you to do. Right? If you feel like you have hit kind of a spiritual depression and that you are struggling, I just challenge you to reorder your life, to make Christ the center of your life. Figure out a way where you are spending daily time with the Lord and you are cultivating moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. And just see if that doesn't make a difference. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we give you thanks and praise. I thank you because we do share in your divine nature. We can become increasingly like you. This is why I believe that you can tell us that we have no reason to be anxious about anything. 
we come to you with, to be honest, a lot of things in our own minds to be anxious about, that we are troubled with. I pray, Father, that you would help us to escape this trouble, to escape the corruption of our own hearts and our own lives and the own society that we live in. I don't want us to escape our situations. I want us to be able to be fully present in them, but I want us to bring your presence to them. And so I pray, Father, that you help us to order. May we make an extra effort right now to do the things that we need to do to be in your presence on a daily basis. I pray that you would help us all to become more virtuous, to understand what that looks like and who you would have us to be. I pray that you help us to grow in knowledge, to grow in self-control and patience godliness and love for people in the church and love for people outside of the church. You say the more we grow like this, the more productive and useful we will be to you. And we pray for that. So I pray that each one of us would work hard to grow into your likeness. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.